It's singular now. I didn't say revelations. When you hear people say that, I guess they haven't read the book. But uh, it's singular, not plural. So four times, four times the author identifies himself as John, the Apostle John. The Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and also the Book of Revelation. And uh, he was the only apostle that did not die, that did not die a martyr's death. So John wrote about, uh, the time was about A.D. 95 or 96 from Patmos during the reign of the Roman Emperor uh, Domitian. The emperor had demanded that he be worshipped as Lord. Uh, and he should be called God. And in the refusal of Christians to obey his orders led to severe persecution. When Domitian became emperor, the persecution was intensified. Domitian was a cold-blooded, a murderer, as you will ever, as ever meet in your life. He promoted emperor worship. Well, of course, Christians are not supposed to bow down to any man. So, of course, that caused persecution. Uh, he wanted to be as addressed as Lord God. And, of course, when John was refused to do that, John was exiled to the island of Patmos. The island of Patmos is a rocky island 10 miles long and 6 miles wide in the Aegean Sea. Rome had a penal, a penal camp there where the prisoners, they would labor in the mines. It was an isolated spot. But there in that spot, that's where God revealed his visions, and that's why that's where he wrote this book from, the island of Patmos. Although John was isolated on this island, and no one knew where he was, but God knew where he was. You might not think that no one knows where you are, but God knows where you are. Are you guys watching by Facebook and can't be here? God knows your heart. God knows where you are. And if you can be here, great. If you can't, don't worry about it. So as we study, expect to encounter a great deal of eschatology, end times. Uh, as we study this book, it's a lot of symbols. It's a lot of quotes from the Old Testament. Nearly 300 references to the Old Testament are found in the book of Revelation. This means that we must anchor our interpretations to what we already know and what has already been revealed to us, lest we misinterpret this important book, prophetic book. So while the book was originally sent to seven actual local churches in Asia Minor, John makes it clear that any believer can profit from reading this book. According to Revelation 1.3, any believer that reads this book can profit from it. In fact, God has promised a special blessing to those who read the book 
and obey his message. The verb means to read out loud. They would read this book out loud. Revelation was first read out loud in a lot of the local churches in the area. The Apostle Paul had sent letters to seven churches, Rome, Corinth, Galatia, uh, Ephesians, Philippi, Colossae, and Thessalonica. And now John sends one book to seven different churches. But early in the book, he has a special message from Christ to each church, as we will discover next week. John did not send the book of prophecy to the assemblies in order to satisfy their curiosity. He did not send this book to the local church in order to satisfy their curiosity about the future. God's people were going through intense persecution and they needed encouragement. How many people today need encouragement? Okay, all right, good. You're in the right place. As they heard this book, its message would give them strength and hope. But even more, its message would help them examine their own lives and see what they needed to make the changes and make the proper corrections. They were not only to hear the word, but they were to also keep it, that is, guard it as a treasure and practice what they read. The Blessing would come, not just hearing. The blessings comes when you read the word, not just reading it or hearing. The blessing comes in doing. And what James says, be you doer of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. But it is worth noting that there are seven beatitudes. You see the word blessed all over. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Beatitudes. In Revelation 1, 3, Revelation 14, 13, Revelation 16, 15, 19, 9, 20, verse 6, 22, verse 7, and 14. The number 7 is important in this book because it signifies the fullness and a completeness. It signifies fullness and completeness. So in Revelation, God tells us how he is going to complete his work and usher in an eternal kingdom in Revelation, you will find seven seals, seven trumpets. You'll find seven stars and seven lampstands and many other sevens you'll see as we go through this book because seven is a number of completeness. And when Daniel and John receives God's revelation of the future, they both fell dead. Daniel 7. I mean, Daniel 10, verse 7 through 10, we'll get to that later if I get to it. But Daniel fell dead. They were overwhelmed by what they saw. We know that in, in the end, God's going to win. We know that. And if we are believers, you're going to win also. So Revelation 1 and 2. Revelation, uh, he introduces the book. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The first three words that really tells what the book is all about is the revelation of the unveiling of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to show his servants. 
the things which must surely take place. And he sent and signified it by his angels to his servant John. It's the apostle John, that is. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The ancient, the ancient Greek word translated revelation is apocalypse. Where we get our word apocalypse from? Apocalypse from. The word simply means the unveiling, the uncovering, the revealing of something. So the book of Revelation is the revealing of Jesus Christ in the sense that it belongs to him. He is the one doing the revealing. It is also Jesus Christ in the sense that he is in the he is the object being revealed. And Jesus is the person revealed by this book. He is the one that's going to be unveiled. Or he's the one that's going to be uncovered. He said in verse one, these things are going to surely take uh, surely take place short and near or relative terms and this is God's timetable not man's timetable this is a brief period of time once it starts things will begin to take place quickly which means it's going to take place suddenly the, the idea is that when God starts and all these events begin to take place, they're going to escalate. And we can see right now in these last days, things are beginning to escalate, if you can see it. This certainly pictures the, the present hour when the signs, signs pointing to Jesus Christ's return. It's, it's appearing everywhere that Christ is going to return John said, a revelation of Jesus Christ was God gave to his servants that things must surely take place and sent and signified by his angels. The word signified by his angels, the word signified means by signs. He gave signs to these angels. And there are many signs will be done through angels in this book. He sent an angel to present this revelation to the servant John. With signs. The word servants there in verse one is the messenger. True believers, we must take place with our stand for Jesus Christ before he comes. That servants, true believers, what we must take place between the first and the second coming of Christ. He said these things are going to take place. And once they start taking place, they're going to pick up rapidly. The revelation given here is of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of John, as some people says. It is the revelation of Christ. John was an instrument used to write this account. Verse 2, so who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Christ, to all things that he saw. John was an eyewitness of what he saw, the visions. So he will use symbolic images and visions to try to explain what he saw, the word of God, he said, in the, in the testimony of Jesus Christ, are reasons John were exiled to the island of Patmos. Verse 9, you can read that. We'll get to it. And it is really the reason why a lot of Christians are being persecuted today is because they stand up for righteousness and they stand for Jesus Christ. You see it all over, and it's going to begin in these last days to ex escalate. 
God gave his message to John in a revelation or vision, allowing John to see a record, uh, certain future events, so they could be an encouragement to the believers. The visions included many signs and symbols. They convey, they convey the essence of what, it, what is to take place in the future. Some people say this has already happened. No, this is going to happen. What John saw in most cases were indescribable. As Paul was caught in the third heaven, he said he could not even explain what he saw. What John saw was indescribable. So he used images and he used illustrations to show what, what it was like and what he saw. So when reading this symbolic language, we don't have to understand every detail in the book of Revelation because John sure didn't. And he wrote the book. The revelation, of, the revelation of future events. But there is no gloomy pessimism we might expect. The drama of these unfolding events is so spectacular. But there is nothing to fear if you are on the winning side. I said there is nothing to fear if you are on the winning side. And if you are a believer, you are on the winning side. When you think about the future, walk with confidence because Christ, the victor, walks with you. Amen. You think you're alone? You think Christ's going to leave us down here by ourselves? He said, expedient that I go away because if I go away, I will send the comforter and he's going to come along and he's going to help you. And brothers and sisters, we need some help. It's, oh, anyway, I was going to say something, but I was going to um, save it. You know, when you're out here talking, so many scriptures come to mind, you just can't say all of them. So you just got to just slow down here. So, so when you think about the future, walk in confidence. Revelation is the book of prophecy that is both prediction, foretelling future events and proclaiming or uh, preaching about God. And what he's going to do in the future. Revelation 1, 3 said, blessed, the word blessed is happy. Happy is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. If the time was near then, how much closer are we now? Hmm. God has promised a special blessing, like I said, to those who read it. But not only those who read it, those who hear it, or listen, and to those who keep what they have read, obey it, for the time is near. The, Christ, the time of Christ's return is imminent. How close are we? Don't know. Seems like we're pretty close. The next event of God's calendar is the rapture of the church the return of Christ for his church, and it could happen any time. This is why we as Christians got to keep our eyes heavenward. This is how Satan will try to defeat any believer, is to take our focus off Christ 
and put our focus on earthly things, the world, the flesh, and the devil. He want our eyes on everything under the sun except Jesus Christ. I can defeat myself if I try to follow all this commotion and stuff in this world. It will drive you nuts. But if my focus is on Christ, Christ's going to take care of all that. I don't know what I can do about it anyway, all this stuff, really. But Satan wants you to focus on all this other stuff because if you're focusing over here, you're not focusing on him who is your adversary and trying to take you down. You have hope in Christ. The Bible said, Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our God and and the Savior Jesus Christ. Revelation 4 and 5. Greeting to the seven churches. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was, who is to come. And from the spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. And the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who Loved us, past tense, loved us, already done, past tense, already loved you. You ain't got to learn, you ain't got to earn it. You don't deserve it. He already loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood. Already done. Satan cannot undo that. John now focuses his attention on the several local churches located in a land area called Asia. This is not as we know it today, but Asia Minor, which today is modern day Turkey. Seven is God's number of completion or perfection and perfection. And you will see that number over and over again as we go through this book. John to the seven churches, which are in Asia Minor, he says grace to you and peace. He says grace and peace. It is not peace and grace, but grace and peace, because that is God's program for sinners. They cannot have peace until they have been shown grace first. That's why the Bible says by grace are we saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When one has received the grace of God, the peace of God will follow. That is what I experienced the same night I got saved. I remember it just like it was yesterday. It was 1978, Costa Mesa, California. The peace and the love of God so, so much overwhelmed me, all I could do was break out in tears. Never felt anything like it. I knew something supernaturally had taken place. I knew that. Couldn't explain it, but I knew it. God must show his unmerited favor before he can, before anyone can experience his peace. And only Jesus can give you that peace. Jesus says, not as the world gives, the world cannot give you the peace I'm talking about. Now, people are searching for it here and there and going back and forth. 
The world cannot give you this peace that God gives you because this peace is supernatural. This peace is from him. Even in the midst of a storm, you can have the peace this morning, even in the midst of the pandemic. If your focus is on him. Only Jesus can give us this peace. An unsaved psychiatrist is unable to give you this peace. An unsaved psychiatrist can't give you this peace. He can't do the job. Psychiatrists need the same peace that they strive to give. They need it. Who is he? He said, who is he who was and who is to come? Means that God is eternal. A timeless human being. God doesn't operate in the time that we do. He is out of our time zone. There is no time in eternity. He rules the present. He rules the past and the future at the same time. Now, how do you understand that? The seven churches mentioned here in verse four. Uh, uh, the seven spirits, I should say, mentioned in verse four is the Holy Spirit in his completeness. Mentioned in Isaiah eleven two, the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. The seven, I mean, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding, the spirit of, of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So when he said it's seven spirits, he's not saying there are seven Holy Spirits. He's not saying that. He's saying it's the Holy Spirit in his completeness and in his fullness. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, he said, was a faithful witness. The word witness can be martyr. First born from the dead, first born from the dead. And the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us with his blood. And from Jesus, he said, a faithful witness. Only in Revelation is Jesus called and given the title of faithful witness because he was a genuine martyr and he was faithful even until death. Jesus had been a true witness in his life and in his death. His earthly life is his earthly life in perfect obedience to the Father. And it said he was the first from firstborn from the dead. What does he mean by that? The question is awfully asked, what does he mean he was the first born from the dead? Well, why? It's because Christ, the firstborn from the dead, when, you know, when, why is he called the firstborn from the dead when Lazarus and other people were raised first? But the answer is simple. Others were raised to life, but they died again. They were raised from physical death to physical life only to eventually die a second time. But Jesus was raised to immorality, uh, to uh, eternal immortality, never to die again. He was raised a second time, to never to die again. He, was the, he is the first to have been resurrected with a never dying body. To him he loved us, the Bible said, and has washed us from our sins with his own blood. To affirm how much he loves us by the shedding of blood, there wouldn't have been no forgiveness of sin. So you are free from the power of sin through his, through his blood. 
I mean, I had a lot of sins when I came. And to think that when I put my faith in Christ, I was free from all of them. The power of sin had no more control over me. It doesn't mean I don't sin, but it doesn't control my life anymore. See, uh, you are worth something. Now, I'm going to tell you that because the enemy is going to tell you you're not. Because he's the father of lies. Do you know how many people I know that are walking in condemnation and guilt? Because they believe in the lies of the enemy and not believe in what the word of God says. You are worth something because Jesus loved you and he proved it by shedding his blood on the, on the cross for you and me. He proved it. He demonstrated his love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for, for us. He demonstrated it. Don't allow your sense of worth to, to be based on opinions or actions of others. Don't allow your sense of worth to be based on the opinion or actions of others. Don't try to find your worth in how you look or how you feel. Don't try to find your worth in how other people view you. Instead, let your sense of worth come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have already been accepted. You are secure in him. He loves you and, and he and have accepted you. You don't have to try to meet other people's expectations. Colossians 1.14, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Because without the shedding of blood, there wouldn't have been no forgiveness. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct, received out of the tradition of your father, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot. He loves us. Revelation 1, 6, that he's made us kings and priests. What? <laughs> See, it takes faith to believe that. Now, you might not look like one. might not act like one. I'm just telling you what the word said. He has, you see that word that has? I mean, past tense, already done. Made us kings and priests to his to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Uh, so be it. Priest is the title of every believer. You know, Peter says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people who had not obtained mercy, but now you obtain mercy. And boy, do I need some mercy. I don't know about you. You don't need no priest or a minister to get close to God. You can go right directly to God yourself because there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You don't need that. If you, have, if you have been born again, you are a priest in the eyes of God. You can bring your own petitions to God himself. All born, all born again believers are on the same level. Did you know that? God is no respect of persons, and every believer is on the same level. 
Well, I've been a Christian 50 years. You only been a Christian a week. So God loves me more than he loves you. No. You are on the same level as everybody else. I'm on the same level as you. I'm not superior to you. I'm not more important than you are. We are on the same level when you come to Christ. You are a priest and a king and priest, and you can bring your petitions to God. All born again believers are on the same level and have a right to enter, enter the presence of God at any time, and you haven't got to wait until Sunday morning. What about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? What do you do? I hear people say, well, I got to go to church to get prayer. Now, wait a minute. You ain't got to go to church to get prayer, although we'll pray for you here, but you ain't got to wait till you get to church to get prayer. You better be praying every day because the devil's not playing and he's not playing fair. You know how many people I know who are having marital problems right now with their children? You better learn to fight, Christian, and use that, that armor that God has given you because that devil don't like you. You hear me? King and priest, one seven. Behold, he is coming with clouds. Some people say the clouds of the church. I know when the second coming, when Christ comes, he's he going to return with his church. Behold, he's coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, and, though he, and they who pierce him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Daniel 7.13 says, and I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with clouds of heaven. He came to the, to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then, he, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom to all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. It speaks of the second coming of Christ. He's coming with clouds. The Lord's return will be actual. It will be personal. And the Lord's coming is going to be visible. It says that every eye is going to see him. How is that possible? Well, with modern technology now, it can happen. TV, computers, cell phones, whatever. It says every eye is going to see him. At his second coming. Matthew said, immediately after the tribulation of these days, the sun shall be darkened and the moon will be turned, <clears throat> will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the power of heaven shall be shaken when he comes back. He's not going to come back on an old donkey. The signs of, of the Son of Man will appear in heaven then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angel with, with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the other. They're going to look at him when they have pierced, a reference to the Jews who were actually responsible for his death. Zechariah identified the ones who pierced him as the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and prophesied that they will weep tears of genuine repentance because of what they did to their Messiah. Zechariah 12.10 said, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication, then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his son and grieve for him as one grieve for his firstborn. In verse 7, it also says that all tribes of the earth is going to mourn. The mourning of the rest of the earth inhabitants is not genuine repentance. It's a result of guilt, of sin, of fear. They have fear of judgment, and they're going to be mourning. Every eye, can you imagine the clouds unfold and the unbeliever is watching Jesus come back? Man, that's enough to scare anybody. Verse 8, so I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, said the Lord, who was, who, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Almighty, he's everything from A to Z. He's the first, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet, who is, who was, and is to come. That means that he is eternal and timeless. He is the beginning and the end of everything. He's, he always was. He is before all things. He created all things. All things were made by him, and without him nothing was made, according to uh, John 1, 3. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, and things are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were made through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist to hold together. Eternal. Well, verse 9, John says, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on, on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God. Now, wait a minute. He was there for what? He said for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John immediately identifies himself as a brother in Christ and a companion in suffering. John realizes that he is an, an old man and highly respected. Yes, he wants no praise for his suffering. John was an exile. He was exiled on the island located about 70 miles from Ephesus, Ephesus where he had pastored the Asian churches. Patmos was a small island in the Aegean Sea, southwest of Ephesus. Patmos was a barren, rocky, about 10 miles long, and less than six miles at its widest point. It was a barren place. It was a lonely place. It was no trees. It was no water. It was no rivers. John said he was put there for the word of God. Not that he did anything wrong. The Romans used this penal, this penal colony to force prisoners to work, free labor. It was an isolated place where they would put prisoners. John had not committed no crime, but he had, it was, he had committed no crime, but he stood for the Lord and they put him on this island. He was exiled because of the word of God, which he had preached. He was in the will of God and still going through all of this. Some people think, you know, what stumbles a lot of preachers? I talk to them all the time. What stumbles a lot of preachers? Just because you're in the will of God doesn't mean that things are going to be easy for you. Did you know that? A lot of these young pastors, I said, man, this is warfare, brother. This is warfare. You got to have some faith here. God's got to be your strength here, man. 
you stepping into a lion's den. Charles Pershing said he encouraged all of his students never to become a pastor. Only, the, only those that felt compelled by the Holy Spirit that you go into the ministry. You want to see warfare? Walk with me. I'll show you some warfare. John was in an isolated place for, the stand, for his stand. And you could be in the will of God and still suffer persecution. You can ask Jeremiah. Read it. You can ask the apostles. You can ask Job. You can ask the apostle Paul. You can ask Joseph. They were all in the will of God. And just the thing, that's because you're in the will of God that, man, I can just, ooh, I can just relax now. No, you're not. The Satan's going to say, I'm going to stop you any way that possible. So you got to be strong in the Lord. He said he was in there for the testimony of Jesus Christ, for the preaching of Christianity and converting pagans to the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells of the tribulation he received during his incarnation. But he, he rejoices he was able to preach the word of God there because he preached to the prisoners just like Paul did. John was exiled to Patmos because he refused to stop preaching the word of God. He refused to stop preaching the gospel. I believe that right here in the United States of America, a lot of pastors are going to go to jail for preaching the word of God. Because they say, man, you're preaching hate, man. You can't judge me. Who do you think you are? That's okay. I'm ready to go to jail. Didn't kill Paul. I go to jail, then Pastor Joe can preach. Put him in jail, then Steve will preach. Put Steve in jail, then Al, I get Al to preach. I get anybody. When they put us all in there, the jail can't hold all of us. <laughs> we may not face persecution for our faith as the early church did, but, but even with our freedom, Few of us, even right now, when things are, are easy, have, we don't have the courage to share God's word with others. If we hesitate to share our faith during either time, how will we do during the bad times in persecution? John was exiled in, a, in an effort. They wanted to silence John and shut him up from stop preaching the word of God, just like today they want to shut their church up. Where is the church? If they shut us up? I don't know about you, but I'm going to say something. There's somebody. I know too much to keep my mouth shut. I don't need any more information. What I need to do is share the information that I know. He was exiled, but that didn't silence him. He just preached to the prisoners. He said this was a cause worth surfing for. So the spirit of the glory of God, it rested upon this apostle because he stood with what was, what was right. Although it was lonely, but they wanted to silence him without putting him to death. He said, verse 10 and 11, I was in the spirit of the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Many people feel the trumpet was the voice of God. Well, maybe it was. I was in the spirit means that 
John was supernaturally transported into the future. He was fast forwarded into the future. And supernatural things were revealed to him. He's out in the spirit of the Lord's day, the Lord's day refers to Sunday. He said, I heard a voice behind me, a loud voice, as of a trumpet. Not that it was. As of, you see that in your Bible? He said, I'm trying to explain to y'all what I saw, because what if God transported you a trillion, I don't know how many miles he transported John in the future, but what if God transported you a trillion, a trillion, a trillion miles in the future? And he said, I'm going to send you back to earth now. I want you to explain what you saw. How about you explain it? This is what John trying to do. He don't even understand what he saw, but he's trying to do the best he can to explain to us. He said, I heard a voice behind me. He said, I heard behind me a voice as a trumpet. Not that it was. He tried to explain in his own words what he saw when he was carried into the future. And he's having a hard time explaining it. So again, if we have on a, a little bit of trouble understanding this book, you are in good company because John had trouble too explaining it. And he wrote it. Don't worry about the things that you don't understand. Apply the things that you do. The things that I don't understand don't bother me at all. But the things that I do understand and not applying, The voice told John to send these letters to these churches that he had been separated from. There were seven churches in Asia, but, but Jesus chose these churches to represent the spiritual need of each church. He said, I am the effort the Omega, the first and the last. Write what you see in the book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. He said, I turned to see the voice who spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girded about the chest with his golden band. The seven lampstands are other churches explained in verse 20. In verse 20, it said, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my hand. And the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, which, which you saw, the churches. So Jesus, in the midst of his churches, said, like the Son of Man, walking and seeking fruit, because Jesus is the head of the church. He's clothed with a, a garment down to his feet, because he's a high priest and he's dressed like, he's dressed like a, high, a high priest. The lampstands represent the churches. A lampstand is not a light, but a light barrier. When Jesus walked on earth, he was the light of the world. Now that Jesus has returned to heaven, guess who's the light of the world now? You are. The church is responsible to shine the light into the darkness. Where's the church? He's the head, verse 14, his head and his hair were white like, that word like is coming over and over and over. He said his head and hair were white like wool. It, it didn't say it was wool. It said it was like wool. And white as snow, 
He didn't say it was snow. He says as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. He didn't say it was. He's trying to explain to you what he saw when he was transported in the future, and he can't put it into words. His feet were like brass, fine brass, and as in refined and affirmance, and his voice sound of many waters, as the sound of many waters. He didn't say it was, but John is having a tough time trying to explain it, just like I would have a tough time trying to explain. Verse 16, he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the shining in his strength. Hmm. Two-edged sword like the word of God. When I saw him, what did he say, verse 17, when I saw him? I didn't run up there to shake his hand. I didn't go up there to give him a hug and ask him no question. You know what he said? He said he fell dead. He was so speechless and overwhelmed by what he saw. He just, boom, couldn't speak. I hear people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord about this and ask the Lord about that. You're not going to ask the Lord nothing. You're going to go, boom, right on your face, brother. That's what you're going to do. He, John said, when I fell him, I fell dead because he laid his right hand on me and said to me, do not be afraid. I mean, that people today, God is saying, right here today, because I talk to Christians sometimes and they're scared of all this stuff. I wonder how many people sitting here today, God is saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm the Alpha. And the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I got this, man. I got it. Do not be afraid, he told John. I am the first and the last. He's overwhelmed. He couldn't handle it. He fell dead. He couldn't take it. Isaiah 44, 6. I'm the first and the last. Besides me, there is no other. He's the eternal one. Verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades, of hell and death. Satan ain't got the keys. Jesus, the keys is authority and control and power. Jesus has access even to hell. He can walk in there and snatch those keys from Satan right now and kick Satan out of hell if he wants to. He's going to throw them back in there, of course, but keys is authority and control and power. He said, I have the keys to hell and death. Believers don't have to fear death or the grave because Christ holds the keys to both of them and has conquered death. When anyone attempts to control their lives and they disregard the things of God, they are setting a course that leads to hell when they disregard the things of Christ. He told John to write these things which are which you have seen, things which are, and the things that will take place after this, in the future. Lord, write these things. If God showed me everything in this, that was supposed to happen in the future, I'd probably explode. I don't know if my, mind could, my little finite mind could take it. But he, he showed me enough to go on that I can keep moving forward. The mystery of the seven churches, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw are the seven churches, uh, uh, the messengers that mean pastors, 
the mystery that some of them was hid before. Ezekiel, the first chapter you can read, Ezekiel fell on his face when he heard a voice speaking. Daniel, he said, there remained no strength in me when I saw him. I had no more strength. Daniel 10. Isaiah, when he saw him, Isaiah said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. You're talking some power. You got it, brother. Jesus got power, and he's coming again. And all the signs points to it right now. So if you're here today and you have not received him as your Lord and Savior, I'm just going to close with this. I just want you just to bow your head and ask Christ to come into your heart right now. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you're able to show us these things. And as we move forward in this book, I pray you would teach us more things that we can apply right now. Anyone here who not, have not received Christ, could you just raise your hand? We'll pray with you. Make sure you're going to go to heaven because he could come back any time. See, we don't know. Lord, we thank you that we are Christians and we have a home in heaven. And we pray you would strengthen each one now so they, could be, so they would be <clears throat> encouraged. And I pray, God, that your word will continue to go forth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you and give you his peace. Stay close to Christ. And you will see his working in your heart and in your life. God bless you. Have a good day.